0: Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social
1: Daily. Welcome to Wednesday's Football Social Daily. Every day of the season, a brand new episode for you, even during those annoying international breaks. But those international breaks often throw up some interesting stories, and one Premier League player has piped up to the press. Christian Pulisic, the American international has revealed that he feels former Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel, who's now been sacked, let him down. We'll unpick that one very shortly. Also, as it's a Wednesday, we'll be answering your questions that you've sent in to us, and we've been tasked today with putting together our current top five Premier League centre-backs as well as discussing if patience with David Moyes at West Ham United is running thin. My name's Niall, and with me for the show today, our reliable front two at FSD of Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, guys.
0: Morning, fellas. Nice to uh, ditch the hesky Owen in comparisons there. No no specific strike partnership given, so <laughs> happy days. <laughs> we like to
2: upgrade Robert and Amiobi to something like... That
0: can't be upgraded, Joel. I'll Come on. Of. Yeah, I've got be, a have uh, of a left foot football, in Athletic target man of uh, Shulram Yobi. that's uh... What about
1: Bar and
2: Cisse? Oh, that was a deadly duo, to be fair.
1: Well, I, see, this I think this is a
0: myth. Like they, they were good. They were obviously two good players, but when people don't remember that, when Cisse started playing, I think he got thirteen in fifteen, and then the next season, Bar played centre forward and he scored like twelve in twenty or something like that. But whoever was not playing as centre forward didn't score a
1: goal. <laughs> And they went out to the left wing. I seem to remember Denver Barr being put out on the left wing at some point as yeah,
0: well. Yeah, Bar Barrett to move over and he didn't score. He couldn't score from the left wing. It was like, so As a partnership. They weren't actually that good, but as two interchangeable strikers. They were bloody brilliant. So.
1: I won't drop any names, but I was speaking to someone who was at Newcastle United during that era. And they were telling me that there was some accusations of voodoo and witchcraft and <laughs> spells <laughs> and all sorts between the two <laughs> Senegalese strikers. <laughs> And Cisse because one was scoring goals and then the other wasn't and there was there was accusations of sort of some um you know underhanded oh wizardry going on between the two of them but yeah that's a story for another day uh, the story we're going to focus on on today's football social daily comes from Chelsea and in fact it rather comes from their forward player Christian Pulisic who's been speaking out about Thomas Tuchel the manager. Who won Chelsea the Champions League and got them to a number of cup finals, but has since been sacked by the new Chelsea owner Todd Bowley to be replaced by former Brighton manager Graham Potter. And Christian Pulisic has opened up on his relationship with Thomas Tuchel. And what he says in his new book, which is out very soon, it's called Christian Pulisic My Journey So Far. It's his upcoming autobiography. He says that he feels let down by Thomas Tuchel. And the reason he says that was because he was dropped for the second leg of the Champions League semi-final. Pulisic says that Thomas Tuchel actually told him he'd be rested for a game against Fulham. And that was before the second leg against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final. Only for Tuchel to then change his mind and choose Kai Havertz instead for that game against Los Blancos. Considering Christian Pulisic had scored in the first leg of that tie against Real Madrid, he's really annoyed about that. I don't like this sort of thing. And I know it's an extract from a book, Marley, but I think it's really poor timing on Christian Pulisic's part to release an excerpt from his new autobiography, which basically throws mud at his former manager who's only been out of the building two weeks. I'm not sure how I feel about this one, but you come to expect these sort of stories in the international break. What do you make of it?
0: Yeah, well, to borrow a, a line from a fellow American sport, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out because <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it 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 just it smacks a bit of like sour apples, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Mm. It's some sour sour apple, sour, sour grapes, grapes, isn't it? Mm. So right? something that's sour. You've <laughs> It's it just yeah, something <laughs> sour. He's it, acting a bit like a. I don't know. It's, uh, He's acting a bit like he's owed something, even mm. though, yeah, I understand his frustration and everyone wants to start the important games. But and you know, if if you scored in the first leg, you maybe think you, you know, you're uh, you're untouchable in the second leg and, and you'll you'll get picked. But it doesn't work like that all the time. He's at the end of the day, he's criticizing a guy who won the Champions League in his first six months at Chelsea the year before. So you know, as much as you might be disappointed, you've got to you got to take the manager's decision in uh, in in your stride sort of thing and, and remain professional about it. And Number one, to release an autobiography when you're 23, 24 years old is, is bizarre anyway. It's only going to um, cause problems down the line because it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Pulisic and, and Tuchel could end up at the same club somewhere in future. So it rules sort of that out. Um and puts them on a bit of a back foot if that ever happened again, and it's just a, a strange thing, really. It's a, it's a bit of a, a bizarre thing to come out with because just stay professional. Don't you don't need to? Oh, you didn't pick me in a game where we got beat. It's like almost throwing him, trying to throw him under the bus when in reality Real Madrid came from behind to beat every team in the knockout stages of that Champions League run on the way to winning it. So. You know, They, they come back up against Man City, they come back against PSG and they did Chelsea as well. So it's hardly as if you're the only ones who, who had it in the palm of the hand and managed to, to throw it away. And Let's be honest, Christian Pulisic has been nothing nothing incredible since coming into the Premier League. He's shown a good few glimpses of form here and there but he's only ever five minutes away from a hamstring injury and he, away he goes for three or four weeks so I don't really think he's got the basis to, to come off like he is at the minute.
1: You said just then that this is kind of a difficult path to tread when you consider that Thomas Tuchel and Christian Pulisic could end up working together at some point in the future. But if I remember rightly, Thomas Tuchel was the Borussia Dortmund manager when he handed Christian Pulisic his first team debut. In the German Bundesliga. So I think this is even stranger when you consider the role that Tuchel has played in Pulisic's career. And yes, you're right. Every player is frustrated when they don't get picked, especially when they feel like promises have been broken. But I'm siding with Marley a little bit here, Joel. Christian Pulisic is speaking in a tone almost as if he's owed something. You know, it's not like this is one of the best players on planet Earth we're talking about here. He's a very talented player, but... It's not exactly like when Pep Guardiola didn't play a defensive midfielder in the Champions League final against Chelsea, and it came back to haunt him. I don't think anyone's looked back at that game from Chelsea persuasion or otherwise and thought, "Oh, they should have started Christian Pulisic, and that would have made
2: the difference." Well, the the, the weakest argument he's got is that they ended up winning the competition, so it's not as if they lost it and he's thinking, "Oh, I could have been the difference in that tournament if he would have started me." He ended up getting a Champions League winners' medal, so. And he also played 25 minutes in the final too. I think the only grievances he has is that in the last seven, in the last ten games, sorry, when the Premier League season was finishing, he played 90 minutes in all but one game in those last games. So I'm guessing he was thinking that he was a completely firm part of that squad, especially the starting 11. But then when you look at the Champions League games that he was playing in. Every single one of those games in the campaign, he only played two full 90-minute games out of every single Champions League game during that winning campaign. So it's clearly showing to me that Tuchel had his preference in the Champions League and he had his preference in the Premier League. And I don't really know... I, I understand that he's annoyed that he wasn't trusted upon after scoring, but like I say, they won the competition, so I don't really see what the issue is. And he played a massive part of it too. And not a lot of players. I mean, there's some amazing players, some of the greatest players who ever played the game who never won the Champions League. And they would trade places with having to do 20 minutes here, 30 minutes here if they could actually win the competition. So it's a strange one for me. And I agree with Marley in the sense that I definitely don't think you should start burning bridges when you're only 23 years old in football because it's like a merry-go-round in terms of the teams that you play with. And I don't see Pulisic lasting at Chelsea for too much longer now just because the competition for places is really ridiculous in those forward lines and purely the fact that he can barely be relied upon anyway because in every single season he's always injured for at least five to ten games. And then how can you could develop consistency in your game and continuously play? And then the manager picks someone else. He comes into form in his position. It's difficult for him to get back into the team sometimes you have to take a little bit of accountability and it was only for this season that you could probably say he had a little bit of an argument because he was in good form prior to those games but even still Champions League and Premier League is a very different ball game and don't forget they were still trying to get into the uh, into the top four during that season too so he had to juggle all of the balls while he was trying to win the Champions League so for me it was. I just don't really see the angle he's coming from because they won the competition and he had a big hand in it and that's something you should surely be proud of.
1: Yeah we're talking about the semi-final of the Champions League in the season that Chelsea won the competition by beating Manchester City in the final. In the semi-final against Real Madrid it was 1-1 in the Bernabeu and Christian Pulisic scored the Chelsea goal in that match and I think he felt that because of that he was owed a start in the second leg instead Kai Havertz was chosen to start up front and Chelsea won the game 2-0 at Stamford Bridge thanks to goals from Timo Werner in the first half and Mason Mount five minutes from the end as I say the match finished 2-0 and I'm just looking at the thumbnail here for the highlights of that Champions League semi-final second leg and the thumbnail is Mason Mount doing a knee slide after scoring and guess who's alongside him with a massive smile on his face screaming at the top of his lungs Christian Pulisic so considering what he says in his excerpt here by the time he brought me on with 25 minutes left I was so wound up well is that not just good management Because in the end, Kai Havertz scores the winning goal for Chelsea in the Champions League final in the next match. So I can understand Pulisic's gripes here, but I I also don't understand it in in the sense that is it really worth releasing this sort of excerpt from his upcoming book? At least it's got us talking about it and now people might go and buy the paperback copy or whatever um, in October when the book's released. So there's that side of it. Maybe it's just a PR thing to release this sort of excerpt, particularly after Thomas Tuchel's just been dismissed. But I want to go back to what you've both picked up on and that is Christian Pulisic's fitness. I think we can all agree he's a good player with plenty of potential how damaging is that, Marley? Because you and Joel have both already mentioned it. The fact that he can't stay fit—how damaging is that uh, in terms of his career?
0: Yeah, it's, it's damaging. Um, I think he's—I mean, there's a long, long line of players who've gone before him that are on the day, on the day incredible, um, but can't stay fit for you know more than twenty games a season, and that's uh, that's not good enough. You, you think of like Michael Owen's. Uh, Injury record once he passed sort of twenty four, twenty five was was pretty much uh, hindering his his later career. He had to retire. Well, he retired quite late, but he was pretty much useless for the last ever since he went to Stoke from two thousand and seventeen or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, and um, Darren Anderton's another famous one isn't he because he got the nickname Sick Note from the fact that <laughs> when he was playing he was really good but he spent a lot of the time on the sideline
0: yeah there's, there's there's plenty and it tends to be the quicker players obviously with the muscular injuries and things like that but you know it, I think Pulisic is coming to a point in his career where he's he's got to step up or, or shut up it's you know, he's 23 he's not classed as a young player anymore he's been in England for like two and a half years maybe three years and you know, it's it's time to time to kick on now, really, because I th- I don't know what obviously Graham Potter's uh, first choice Chelsea eleven's gonna look like, but does it feature Pulisic when you got that many options up front? We we mention it all the time on the podcast. How many how many attacking options Chelsea have got, and is Pulisic one of them? How many team? If you asked a hundred people, how many people would put Pulisic in their in their Chelsea team as first choice and I'm not sure what the split would be, but it wouldn't be everyone. It wouldn't be, you know, um, unanimous decision to to get him on that right wing or the left wing or wherever you you might want to see him in in his best position. So it's time now to, to stop talking, stop writing books. Why are you why are you writing a book at 23? My life so far. Just write one at the end when you've done when you've hung them up and you're done. You know what I mean? That's that's when you're writing autobiography because then you can say, look, in 2012. This happened, and then in 2018, or you know, uh, I did an injury, but I told everyone it was when I got kicked. But it's actually when I tripped over my dog at home, and that's how you get your, your little sound bites and stuff, and, and and your little excerpts that that pull people in. But by throwing managers under the bus when you're 23 years old is it 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 sort of defamates your character a little bit, and people will be looking at that that now, and people will probably be thinking. Well, Pulisic might be available for a transfer, like to my <laughs> club, but you know he's coming across as a bit of a divvy. Here. Like, why are we, why would we want a, man- a a guy who might chuck his his toys out the pram and chuck the manager under the bus? Is that what you want in the dressing room? Because it's just really counterproductive. I, I,
1: th- I think. I just wonder whether if Thomas Tuchel didn't get sacked by Chelsea, they would have released this excerpt. There's no chance <laughs> they would have released this as the as no. the PR excerpt for the new book and I was thinking about this just a few seconds ago whilst you were talking Marley and it's Thanksgiving coming up soon and it's also Christmas coming up soon and the book is released in mid-October mid to late October so I don't know maybe there's something at play there you often see books released at that time of the year I also think I agree with you about footballers writing books I think they should be left till the end of the career and I think that the best way to do a book would be to document your career you know in chapters, season by season, game by game, whatever. Because I think often with players that have had long careers, you get to the end and sometimes you actually remember things differently to how they how they unfolded. So, you know, maybe that's just he wants to do more than one book and wants to document this first chapter of his career and then the next chapter of his career. Yeah, who knows? That'll, that'll but be, yeah. I was
2: really surprised when I saw this. Well, it was similar with um, Liverpool's assistant manager, Pepin Linders, who released that book about inside Liverpool and he got a little bit of grief from it for revealing you know, little anecdotes about players and their routines and stuff and that's while he's still active at Liverpool so sometimes it can actually backfire at you when you've released these kind of things um, I think you've got to be careful and censor some stories where you're still playing with the teammates who are going to look at you and next day you come in and be thinking why are you bringing up things behind the scenes that don't need to come out uh, it's like you guys have said do it after your career when there's not really any repercussions But yeah, it's a strange one at 23 when you've basically got the whole main bulk of your career to go. It's a strange one.
1: Okay, well Christian Pulisic has been speaking out about his relationship with Thomas Tuchel. What do you think? Let us know. You can join our Telegram chat. Just download the Telegram app and click on our join group link, which is pinned to the top of our Twitter page, which is at FSDpod. It's the pin post right at the top. So once you've downloaded Telegram, just give that a click on Twitter and it'll take you straight to the group. And I'm sure we'll have some discussion about that in the group chat a little bit later on. It's also a great place to send us your questions for aqa because on a wednesday we do all questions answered and it's coming up next here on football social daily
0: football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
1: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, and it's Wednesday, which means it's time to answer your questions that you've sent in to us. You can get your questions in via social media or via Telegram. You can get in touch on Twitter at FSD Pod. It's at Sports Social Official on Instagram. We've also got Facebook, so just search for Sports Social on Facebook, and you can find us there, send us a message. Or you can join our brand new Telegram chat by downloading the app and clicking the link in the pinned tweet at the top of our profile It'll take you straight to the group chat. And Telegram is exactly how Liam M's has got in touch, and he sent us this question. He wants us to try and figure out, boys... Who are the top five Premier League centre-backs right now? I have no issue with this, being a Pompey fan, but for you guys, Newcastle and Manchester United, there might be some bias creeping in. Dan Byrne is going
0: in this, whether you like it or not, lads. (laughs) All
1: right, well, you can go first then, Marley. (laughs) Is Dan Byrne on your list? I mean, come on, throw some names out there and we'll see if me and Joel agree.
0: Uh, Now, we've got to start with the obvious ones, haven't you? So, for the five, I'd probably go for Van Dijk. Um, I'd go for um, Ruben Diaz, Even though I've not, I don't think he's been brilliant this season, but I still think he's he's quality on his day. Um, third, I'd go for Saliba at Arsenal. He looks an absolute Rolls Royce of a centre back. He's been very, very good so far. Um, and then the other two, um, I'm kind of struggling a little bit more. I quite like Romero. At Spurs, just because he's aggressive as hell, then he'd literally two-foot his grandma if the ball was on the line. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm struggling for the fifth one.
1: All right, well, we'll let Joel jump in then, because I'm
2: sure, Joel, you are itching to... Yeah, too. go on, oh, on, He's missed out some glaring ones there, bloody hell. Um... You know what, I was just looking at the table randomly when he said Van Dijk and my eyebrows raised a bit, but they have only conceded six goals. It felt like they conceded way more than that this season. Yeah, five of them um, have been Joe Gomez's fault. (laughs) Yeah, literally. And you know, Everton as well, they've got the same amount of conceded goals, six. So I don't know how that's happened because it's felt like it's been the world's crumbling beneath them when we've been talking about them, but they've actually been pretty solid defensively. Um, I've gone for Saliba like Marley said, mm. I think definitely Martinez has to be in there, um, just for the fact that now that he's been partnered with Rafa Varane, they've only conceded two goals in four games, which I think is really is that not on, on Varane? Yeah, well he's going next to him, so don't worry about that. <laughs> okay, wow. So the, the, oh, this, this 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 short list is becoming a long list
1: very quickly. We're gonna have to whittle these down, but keep going. I've, Joel. I've got uh, two.
2: I've got two outsiders. Purely, I've I've not gone too much on last season more what i've seen in the last two like month and a half i've been impressed with dunk from brighton um they've conceded the least amount of goals in the premier league so far which is ridiculously impressive um who knows how that's going to change after potter leaves and then i've gone for eric dyer as well i think that despite romero being the more glitzier guy next to him Dyer has really improved under Conte, and he, Conte really trusts him because we saw it in the Champions League games where he's one of the first names on the team sheet now, and he'll either rest Romero or just play Dyer next to Davidson Sanchez and whoever else, and again they've conceded barely any goals, and he's got his England call-up too, which proves that he's improving massively from you know when he was in the fringes under Jose Mourinho and... Um, now he's just completely coming to a different level of playing at centre-back so I've gone for him as well oh you know what though um on an outsider I think there's two names that definitely we should mention Bella Kochap from Southampton I think he's been an absolute monster for them at the back and obviously got his Germany call up too but he doesn't quite sneak into my top five I don't think but he, he definitely I think by the time we get to December time he'll be on the names of you know some of the best teams so far uh, this season. Okay,
1: all right. So this is our list: Belacotchap. I think we can just shave him off the bottom of the list just to make it a little bit easier for ourselves. Reserves: Virgil Van Dijk, Ruben Diaz, William Saliba, Christian Romero, Lisandro Martinez, Raphael Varane, Lewis Dunk, and Eric Dyer. There's eight names there, we need to get rid of three and decide upon five between us. So why don't
0: we? Why don't we all just shave one off? <laughs> And then we get to five. That's a good idea. All three of okay. us. Okay. All right. I'm getting rid of Martinez.
2: What? How are you getting rid of Martinez? He's literally, he's gone up another level because he has to play next to Varane. Why does he have to play next to Maguire? Why? Huh? He already has. Any we conceded six goals. Yeah. In two so that games. means
0: he's got. To, he's got to play next to Varane. So if Varane comes in at the team, that means Varane is the calming influence. And if you're a, a dominant centre back. Yeah, but the goals then, weren't
2: really Martinez's yes. fault. Enjoying the games, they came down Maguire's side half the time.
0: Also, I don't like how, how Martinez. If if he gets beat, he just boots people, and like I'm just saying, you're you're just a bit of a little else. Like yeah, you just,
2: just you just got an agenda against him,
0: Marley. Just say it. No, I I do quite like him. I just think he's 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 a little bit overrated. He's not done much yet. He's not had that many. Like he's had six. Well, to be games fair, in the he has played
2: against three of the top six already. Played against Liverpool, played against Arsenal, and he did really well in both games. I need to see him
0: play against a a beast centre back. What like Newcastle? Jesus, Jesus isn't, <laughs> you know, isn't a physical centre forward like that. He can he can push him off the ball. Well, United's
1: first game after the international break is a Manchester derby against Man City at the. All right, Etihad. give him, give so, him the big
2: Norwegian robot, see how he does. Yeah, he already has. He already has seen the Champions League against Dortmund. Go watch the highlights for Dortmund <laughs> against um Dortmund against Ajax. He absolutely pocketed Haaland.
1: I look forward to seeing it again. Oh, well, this is this is this is what we wanted from this section of the podcast. We wanted some real debate and we've got that. So much to Joel's disgust, Marley has eliminated Lisandro Martinez from the list. I'm gonna I'm gonna take out I'm gonna take out Lewis Dunk from the list, I think. And I think it's maybe a little bit harsh, but I just think... He has been good to be He has been good, yeah. But I mean, in terms of what, what he's up well. against, yeah, what he's up against though, Dyer, Varane, Romero, Saliba, Diaz and Virgil van Dijk, I think all of those you'd pick over Lewis Dunk if you were picking a an informed Premier League team right now. Even though he has been good, I totally agree. We've only got one left to remove and then we've got our top five, which we can debate, I'm sure, long into the rest of the podcast. But who are you shaving off that list then? Joel if you had a choice so it's Van Dijk, Diaz, Saliba, Romero, Varane and Eric Dier that are all left.
2: I think you've got to take out Van Dijk I feel like right now it's a little bit of a legacy pick because every time I've watched him especially in that United Liverpool game he was at fault for that Sancho goal where he was literally just stood still like a mannequin basically waiting for Sancho to shoot and even in the games I've seen he's been like against Fulham on the opening day where he gave that penalty away. I think he's been very, very 6, 7 out of 10 so far this season. And I think he really needs to up his game. We saw it in the Napoli game as well. He was very shaky. But do you um, think he's
1: set standards for himself so high over the last three years with his performances that he's probably not quite... I mean, 6 or 7 out of 10. I mean, if, I think most players, if they got a 7 out of 10 in the paper, they'd be all right with that. Um, but when, you know, that's That's a reasonably decent performance every week. But, you know, Liverpool... They've only conceded six goals, as we've already established. I just think that, is that not just a product of how consistent and how good he's been over the last three or four seasons that he's been at Liverpool, that he's had a bit of a wobbly start six, seven games into the new season, and therefore we're all picking on him as if to say he's
2: off the pace of it? Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's like a collective knock-on, isn't it? Because Liverpool, haven't been incredible at the start of this season... And I think it trickles through in every single area. I mean, Salah's barely got off firing at the moment. Um, I do think that Van Dyke plays much better when he's got Joel Matty playing next to him. It seems as though there's a little bit of nervousness when Gomez is there. And I just think, when you're right in terms of the fact that, obviously, he's set the bar so high. He's been one of the best defenders in the world for the last two, three years. But, When you're doing 7 out of 10s in a team that wants to go for titles, you will stand out like a sore thumb. And don't get me wrong as well, it's not just him. The whole back line could 100% take blame for it. Robertson's not been on... Up to, up to scratch, Trent Alexander-Arnold's been defensively shocking so far, uh, the midfield is not protecting them the way they should, so it's not just him, but if we are talking about centre-backs, I definitely don't think he's been one of the best ones so far this season, I think the ones that we've named ahead of him, you know, like Dyer, like Romero, I think they've been way more compact and just showed a little bit more improvement on last season I would say. I think this is a really interesting debate in general,
1: and it's one of those which is purely subjective and opinion-based, so there's no right answer to this of who the top five Premier League centre-backs are right now. But Ruben Diaz, for example, we've kept him in the list, but you've decided to remove Van Dijk from the list, Joel. But Manchester City conceded three against Newcastle. They conceded two against Crystal Palace. I don't know whether Ruben Diaz played in either of those games. He might well have been on the sidelines injured or set out. I'm not 100% sure. I can't remember, to be frank. But if we're talking about teams conceding goals, do you think it's because, up the other end, Marley, players like Haaland and Manchester City have been finding the back of the net regularly that it takes the focus off, whereas Liverpool haven't been as electric up front this season? Yeah,
0: I think nobody... Nobody has a problem with you conceding, like let's say you've conceded eight goals this season or whatever. No one, no one cares if you've scored twenty three. It's it's not a problem, is it? So that's what it comes down to. You you get sort of praise if you're not conceding goals, uh, if you're not scoring them as well. But if you're scoring loads of goals, that's the focus. You, no one's bothered if you if you leave the back door open a little bit. So that's just the way it is isn't it you know if, if somebody's scoring loads of goals you look how great their attack is you don't go well what about the defence because then the counter-argument is just well they're scoring loads of goals so what's what you know what? that doesn't matter at all so it's um, it's just the way, it, the way it works really isn't it
1: okay so here's our top five then Ruben Diaz William Saliba Christian Romero Rafael Varane and Eric Dier just a final note two Spurs defenders in that top five list Interesting that. Still unbeaten this season in the Premier League. Thanks for your question, Liam. We'll have more questions on Any Questions Answered on Football Social Daily coming up after this.
2: Football Social
0: Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, and we're going to answer some more of your questions now. On this section of the show, we heard Liam's question from before the break about the top five Premier League centre-backs. I'm sure plenty of you do not agree with our selection and the way we've come about to our decision. So you can get in touch with us on our Telegram chat. Come and join the debate and the discussion after the podcast is finished and uh, have your say. You can join the Telegram group by downloading the app and clicking the link, which is pinned to our Twitter page, which you can find at Pod. On Twitter, So send your questions in to us as well for next week's show if you've got any of them. And one of them comes from Jim Salverson. Everyone knows who he is, our resident West Ham United fan here on the podcast. And he says, is time running out for David Moyes? West Ham United have had a poor start to the Premier League season. They've done okay in Europe so far, but in the top flight, they've struggled. They're in the relegation zone. A lot of people wouldn't have expected that, Joel, at the start of the season. Do you think David Moyes is under some pressure?
2: When I've been seeing his press match, uh, his press matches, his uh, conferences uh, post-game, I just think that he's starting to show a little bit of signs of pressure at the moment. One of them was the most funny ones I've seen when the reporter called him Moisey instead of his just normal name, as if he knew him from back in 99, um, which he didn't like at all. And it's just little things like that where these comments start to get under his skin. And even though he's just, spent a ridiculous amount in the summer, I think it's one of West Ham's biggest summers they've ever had, and they've not signed lack of quality players, I mean Lucas Baccheta, he was touted to be linked with the likes of Arsenal, AC Milan, and they've ended up managing to pull him away, their record transfer signing, he's not it doesn't look like Moyes knows exactly how to use him. The same with Skamaka, one of the best Serie A strikers last season for Sassuolo. He was linked, he nearly went to Paris Saint Germain, but that collapsed at the last minute. And again, nothing's really clicked for either of them so far. And they were two players who you would think, when you're spending the best part of eighty million pounds on, they're going to make a massive impact pretty quickly um, but it's not just him it's the likes of Declan Rice which is not good for the England squad he's not in the greatest form either um, so it's going to be a testing time for David Moyes because it's a very polar opposite way of how they've seen the season go compared to last year where they were straight up into the top six there was talk of them potentially getting into the top four that Europe, Europa League um campaign which I'm sure all West Ham fans will live long in the memory for and now you know having one win in seven games is just not good enough and when you look at the games that they've already played you know they've played the likes of Chelsea Tottenham um which you know you can say are fine for dropping points they actually got a point out of the Tottenham game it's the other ones which are a concern for me like going uh, getting beat by Brighton at home and getting beat by Everton away and all these little small defeats and Nor- uh, forest away, these are games that you should be there or thereabouts So they didn't score one goal in. And when you're not scoring after paying 80 million on your forward line, you've got big problems. And like I say, it's not just the new signings. I mean, Jared Bowen, he scored a ridiculous amount last season, got in the England squad and now he's nowhere to be seen at the moment, so... There's a big problem throughout the squad. He needs to motivate motivate them quickly because the games are going to come around quick and quick and fast in October. I think it's nine games every every team's got, especially if they're in Europe. Uh, so it's going to be difficult October for a lot of managers. I think in October time.
1: Well, West Ham seven games, one win, one draw, five defeats, minus six goal difference, just the four points. They're two points from safety at the moment, and obviously, there's still a long way to go in the Premier League season. Marley. Joel's picked up on some of the things he's noticed when it comes to David Moyes maybe being agitated and frustrated and it's not like they've not signed good players. Has he got credit in the bank do you think with the way West Ham have performed in the last couple of seasons because we were sat here three seasons ago maybe a little bit longer three and a half seasons ago wondering if West Ham were going to go down and you know the last two seasons they've been in European competition and in with a shout of qualifying for the Champions League so here they are 18th after seven games rubbish start but do you think Moyes... I'll call him that because he can't hear me saying it. He's got credit in the bank.
0: Yeah, he's got he's got that uh that build up of uh of getting teams out of situations like this, including West Ham, um, and taking them on to, to bigger and better things and um I think once the season settles down, I think I think he should be under a little little bit of pressure right now, but you know, it's I can't see them pulling the trigger and sacking him because he's uh, yeah like you say he's got that that in the bank the whole he's took them to to Europe the last two years and before that he he got them away from relegation so he's pretty much succeeded every season um, now he's been backed in the transfer window West Ham have some sort of weird uh, way of signing good players and then not getting them in the team and then not looking very good it's bizarre how they, they keep doing it over the years, they, they usually sign big name players and, and big fee players, and and just never they never seem to gel quickly, and, and that's happened again this year. But yeah, I think you have just got to wait it out. I think West Ham, once they find their feet, they will beat enough teams to finish around mid table. I, I reckon. So um, I can't see West Ham being deluded enough to go. Do you know what? Like we're 18th now, and we should be third or fourth we should be we should be up there it's 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 more of an ambition for I think for West Ham to be up there it's not an expectation to be to be flying at the top of the league at, at all times of the season so I think he's he's got a few more he's got at least 10 more games I would say and if it's still this bad at Christmas then obviously any club would be looking to to sack the manager around that time but mm. we're still pretty early days I think
1: Well, like what Joel was talking about yesterday when we mentioned Leicester City and the rumours in the newspapers with their potential replacement options for Brendan Rodgers, should they sack him? I think, Joel, you said, wait until the World Cup. Um, There's a big break there. I think maybe West Ham might be thinking the same thing. Wait until the World Cup in mid-November. Managers have got another five or six games up until that point when the international break now finishes and players resume the Premier League season. They've got the whole of October, most of November. There's loads of games between now and the World Cup. So maybe then is a good option uh, in terms of waiting and finding out whether you should stick or you should twist. Nice one, Jim, for that question. And here's another question to do with managers. This one comes from Jameson and he says, should Wolves make a change with Bruno Large? Fans are beginning to get frustrated with us just above the relegation zone in 17th and only winning one game so far this season. I'll come to you first on this one, Marley, because I thought that was an interesting synopsis of how Wolves are getting on at the moment, because they've played seven, won one, drawn three and lost three, six points. They are just a jot above the relegation zone, two points above West Ham, who are in 18th. But your team, Newcastle, they've only won one game this season. Yes, they've drawn five, but they're in 10th. So it's been one of those starts to the season for some teams where not winning games can be frustrating, but there's a number of other teams in the same boat, isn't there? So what do you make of Jameson's question about Bruno Lars? Do you think he's done enough to, to earn some more time? Because I'm quite surprised that that's even been brought up, to be honest.
0: It's funny this, one, this one's come up because I was... I was thinking about uh, Wolves at the weekend when they they rolled over against Man City. I, I, I did start thinking about large and thought, I wonder if they wonder what the feeling is amongst the Wolves fans. And since then, it's it it does seem to have soured a little bit. Um, mm. I think he's had to to sort of rebuild the team. He's 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 gone away from the back three um, that Wolves played ever since they were in the Championship all the way through the Nuno Espirito Santo days. Um, they've had to deal with the the injury and then the replacement of Jimenez. Then they finally signed Kaladzic, and he goes down with an ACL on his first his uh, his first game. And then they've got to sign a ninety-year-old Diego Costa to try and fill a gap for a few uh, a few months. But th- there's a lot of sort of factors in this um, in this hmm. thing. I think that's
1: the problem, isn't it? That's the main one. You mentioned Costa coming in. Obviously, he's in his mid-thirties, and they can't help. Kladzic going away with an ACL problem but they've scored just three goals in the Premier League this season along with West Ham that is the joint fewest scored by any side in the division even Leicester who are bottom of the Premier League table have scored 10 Nottingham Forest have scored six Wolves and West Ham have only scored three each which is you know quite easily the the least of any of the teams in the top flight
0: yeah it's um it's it's more frustrating for Wolves as well because they've clearly got good players like, who you'd expect more from, like Pedro Neto is a quality player, but he's, he's not a big goal scorer. Um, there's players in there like Podence doesn't really chip in with too many. Sometimes looks amazing, sometimes goes missing in games. Um, Mateus Nunes has come in and he's, oh, he's not the the biggest goal scorer, but he's certainly tasked with, with providing goals. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's, it depends. With with wolves, you know, they've lost, they lost 3 have aren't they? Drawn three and, and won one. It's not, it's hardly brilliant. But I think they've got enough talent to to come through it. I think they've still got a fairly young team as well. I think if you look at like Kilman, Collins, um, in in the back, uh, the the back department, the the centre back department, it's uh, it's still time to stick with them. I think and and sort of keep faith with them. Not. Not bin him off, not go for anyone else. Not sure they've got anyone else. To be fair, but uh, losing Cody's experience is is probably bigger than a lot of people realise. Um, and it's still Bruno Large trying to mould his team into what he wants. I think. Um, having said that, you're coming to the, you know, you're coming in Large's second year now. So that's, you know, should they be, should they be there already? You could argue yes. Um, but the season's been poor so far. They need a, a few wins to to sort of set people's mind at ease because there's a few decent managers out of work right now who who might be sort of uh, circling and sort of uh, raising eyebrows at the the boardroom level of um, Wolves.
1: Yeah, just thinking about when Bruno Lage first came in, it was, if I remember rightly, quite tight in terms of the way that games were going. I seem to remember the first few games of the season when he came in last year, they were quite difficult to break down. And a lot of the games they had were tight matches, it would be kind of 1-0 or there'd be one goal in it. I seem to remember a game against Manchester United where United got lucky and Wolves probably should have won the game and there was a few one 0 both in their favour and against them around that period. Maybe Wolves fans listening can correct me if I'm wrong there. But how does he go about solving this forward problem? Because that clearly is the issue and you know, Jameson's asking, is it too soon to kind of make a change and... Uh, and switch out Bruno Lage, but having read some reports I've just had a search of Bruno Lage on the internet Joel and it seems like most local papers are reporting that his job is not imminently under threat but there are concerns about how Wolves are going to get themselves out of this sticky start so how do they start scoring more goals I mean it's the golden question isn't it that's, that's what every manager wants more goals you win more games
2: well, they've obviously tried to address it quite quickly when Kalatic got that ACL injury. I don't think they had that in their plans at all. I think he would have settled in pretty quickly considering the size of him too. But having to bring in Diego Costa, I think it just shows the difficulty they've got in their forward line at the moment. Because, But why is that? Because they've got
1: Raúl Jiménez, they've got Pedro Neto, they've got players that can score goals that we've seen score goals in the Premier League in the past and... You know, obviously, Jimenez had that nasty injury against Arsenal and arguments would be that he's never been the same player since then. Pedro Neto's had a nasty injury, which he's just recovered from and maybe is still trying to find his stride. But they're players that have the experience and the goal-scoring touch. So so why is it that they can't score? Because they've got quality.
2: Well, I think the first part is... Jimenez is not the player he was before that injury anymore that's the reason why they brought in Kalacic because he can't be relied upon as that prolific number nine this is why they're starting to choose different options and I know everyone loves Pedro Neto but he's never been a prolific player I think the highest amount of goals he scored in the league has been about five So they've always had an issue with goals. I actually remember last season when they were constantly winning 1-0. There was only one goal in the games constantly, but they were tilting the scales on their side. Now they've gone with a different system. They've got such a strong midfield, which again surprises me that they're even... I don't want to say in this position because, I mean, they're three points away from going into ninth. So I don't feel like it's a dire situation right now for them. Um, like compared to, for example, West Ham and Leicester, who are still, I'd say, even struggling way more than Wolves at the moment. Um, but it's just a case of having a perspect, having perspective, like you mentioned before. I mean, Newcastle have also won one game. Everton have also won one game, but their perception of how the season's going is a lot different. I mean, Everton prior to this win just gone, there was a lot of pressure on Lampard going into these games because it was. Again, looking back to last season, thinking, is he going to turn this around? And now they're in 13th. The perception of the league's different because you're a little bit higher rather than in these dreaded relegation places. And I think with Wolves, it will click eventually because let's not forget, they've had to fill quite a few big voids after this summer's just gone. They've had to rejig the forward line again. Um, And obviously, they brought in Guedes from Valencia, who I think is going to take a little bit of time to. So I do think it'll come good for them, but I definitely don't think, in terms of changing managers, it's not the time yet. I think it, for every team who are thinking about it, October will be the time to see and understand what the plan is because, like we've mentioned, that one month during the World Cup, I think it'll prove to be a really good time if they want to prepare for actually sacking a manager and starting put, putting plans in place. Nice one Jameson thanks for your question about Wolverhampton Wanderers if you've
1: got a question send one into us via social media it's at FSDpod on Twitter send us a DM there or just click the link at the top of our Twitter page it's a pin post which will take you straight to the Telegram group download the app fire your question in there we're all in there and I'm sure we'll be having some more discussion about today's podcast a little bit later on and also you can get your questions into us via Instagram or Facebook As well. But from myself, Joel and Marley, that is it. We'll be back again tomorrow with more Premier League opinion and discussion. We'll see you next time on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk.